One of our first guests is back. This week, we catch up with Luca. Welcome back to the Poker Zoo. Poker Zoo. Who is this? That's right, this is the Poker Zoo. I am one of your hosts, Dean Martin. Persuadio will be here shortly with uh, guest Luca. I will call him the Big V since his last name is so large. You can find this episode as well as all of the other episodes at persuadio.nl. Simply do a search for the Poker Zoo. Also have them aggregated at thepokerzoo.com and Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and all the other podcast aggregators out there. We are everywhere, except on Google. Google hates us. Be that as it may, many of you love us and continue to come back week to week, and we are thankful for that. We had a good week at the uh, poker tables. In fact, if you stick around to the end of the show after the interview, I have an interesting poker meets music story. Some say it was fame that got the best of him, and entering the witness protection program was the only way he could protect himself from the incessant mobs of adoring fans. We, however, just call him Persuadio. Welcome back once again to the Poker Zoo. This is Chris, a.k.a. Persuadio. And I'm kind of relieved. I'm, I've am i been interviewing people outside of the circle, outside of uh, the back room and the Poker Zoo and, and all the people that make up this community. I'm relieved to, uh, to get back to... Our episode two guest and find out how he's doing, uh, Luca Vitasevic. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's good to hear you. And you've been through a lot of changes, which we're going to get into. Tell us briefly, just what are you doing now? Yeah, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get to how I got here, but right now um, I've actually been playing uh, quite a bit of online poker. Oh boy. Um, and. <laughs> Um, I've just recently uh, started uh, making some appearances back in the live arena, um, but my focus right now and for about the next couple of years is going to be playing online. Okay, so we'll get into that, but just for the the light story, the leadoff, uh, Portland Meadows, your primary place of shutting down, the place that the poker guys play and run their, their show from, who I interviewed a few weeks ago, is back. Can you tell us about the the new place and what the games look like? Yeah, so I, I checked out the new place, and uh, I personally really really like the spot. Um, it's a really good space. Um, it's comfortable. They've got the you know the same tables, the same comfortable chairs, uh, the same really uh, profitable games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they haven't switched people, huh? Yeah, cool. yeah. And uh, there's this new craze that has swept over Portland. Um, I thought it was isolated to the to the game, uh, which is another card room. Um, but when I went to show up uh, at Meadows for their grand opening, um, they were doing it there too. And it's these double board bomb pots. Um, so essentially what we've been doing is there's the dealer button, which goes around the table clockwise, I believe. Um, and then they take out essentially this lammer that goes around the table counterclockwise. And then whenever the lammer and this button meet up, that's when we do a bomb pot. So we're doing one bomb pot per orbit. Um, and uh, so whoever has the lammer gets the button for the bomb pot. <laughs> okay. 
and we're doing it with two boards and uh, people just are obsessed with it and they love it. And does it create a lot of action or how does it actually end up playing in the game? So interestingly enough, my experience at the Meadows, um, I it created some action, not that the Portland games have ever needed an injection of action, um, right. but <laughs> um, it created less action because everybody's contribution for this bomb pot was $5, which kind of made it a little bit a waste of time. Um, uh, at the game, um, the standard bomb pot is 10 bucks. So uh-huh. you start, it's a one-two game with a 500 cap, and you start with $90 dead money, and there's two boards that come out. So <laughs> stacks go in quickly. Um, right. And, uh, you know, it, surprisingly, that, that, that five extra dollars makes a pretty big difference in how the action uh, unfolds. Mm, okay. Well, that sounds good. I am close to getting down there again. It's been a long time. It's been longer than I've ever gone between visits to Portland. I've just been busy and uh, I was sick at one point and yada, 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 but uh, I, I'm excited to get down there. And uh, But you don't get out, and this is where we'll get into your life. Uh, you're not there every night now. What happened? How did that all start? Yeah, so I've had uh, a lot of, uh, I've had some personal change going on and that uh, that's just been something that's been going on for a while. Um, going through uh the divorce and so that's been pretty taxing um and obviously uh anytime you uh, end up in that place there's a lead up uh it isn't usually a smooth and 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 carefree path (laughs) towards that you're not going to tell me about your smooth divorce (laughs) so uh so you know yeah, it 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 been a it bit a bumpy stretch for me. Um, thankfully, the actual process has been um, pretty smooth. Actually, it's been very friendly. Um, there's still friendship there. There's still mutual respect, um, and so that part uh, has been, you know, all things considered, uh, really respectful uh, and pleasant. Um, it's sad, um, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of been the big personal thing, and that's 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 been a, a big big change. And um, kind of as I was leaving that situation, um, I uh, mm-hmm. was in a place where I really didn't have a bankroll, um, and uh, uh, you know, despite years of consistent winning, um, I was in a position where I didn't have a bankroll anymore. And right. So. Um, that was that was really difficult for me uh, because poker is something I'm so passionate about, um, and I was, uh, you know, pretty sad about not having really a path, uh, or not at the time really seeing a path. I'll put it that way. Um, so what I did is I reached out to Christian Soto and Matt Berkey, uh, and and shot them a text, kind of let them know what my situation was, and see if they had any suggestions. And what they suggested is that I had apply for uh, Poker Detox, um, which is a online coaching for profits run by Nick Howard. And so I sent in my application, went through the application process, um, and that's uh, that's what's occupying my time in the poker world. Wow, so that that's a lot of stuff. Um, what the listeners might remember, or they what they need to 
to be reminded of most likely is that you were kind of a a semi pro. Your poker income helped pay the family bills, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And that was kind of the challenge for you because you weren't growing your bankroll role even though you were winning. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then personal troubles mount. We don't need to empty your whole purse here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was obviously, no matter how well you're describing it, it must have been a very stressful time. How are you now? How are you getting over uh, your perfect uh, suburban life? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's been a real process. Um, it's actually um, been a real period of growth personally. Um, I've had to uh, do quite a bit of self-reflection. Um, I've, I've had to learn a lot. Um, have had to really, uh, you know, kind of work on myself uh, in a lot of ways and, and try to understand some things that I hadn't maybe analyzed before. And, uh, I will say that I'm in, I'm in a very, in a, I'm in a good place. Uh, I'm very, very optimistic about the future and, uh, I, you know, I like where I'm headed. Well, that's good. Did just one more question on that Yeah. because yeah. the, the poker players would want to know in this respect, I mean, was poker a pressure or a negative in your marriage? It was a mixture. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, you know, it can't be where I'm playing poker that much and it isn't um, an aspect of the marriage almost. And it, it's a, it was a very complicated piece of the puzzle. Uh, I'll say that. Um, there was um, recognition of the personal importance it played in my life. Um, there was a recognition of the financial necessity, um, uh, for me to be going out and playing, but I can't lie and say there weren't also negative components of it as well. I think that I'm somebody that, you know, can really focus on things. And, um, I think there were times where maybe it was a negative how focused I was on poker at times. Um, and I think that was exacerbated with my situation being really um, difficult at home. So sometimes poker was like my escape. And uh, I don't mean to dilute um, what poker is for me. I, I don't really, uh, I, I don't think it ever, I don't think it overall signifies that for me. Um, and, 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 but, uh, I think there were times where, you know, when my life was a bit chaos and a storm and that was kind of an anchor for me at the times, it's kind of like a leg on my table that provided support. Nice. And it can be an escape though, too, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. Is it an escape now or is poker somehow healthier or where is poker, where does poker fit into the new Luca's life? Yeah. I mean, poker fits in the new Luca's life kind of where, I've always wanted it to fit, uh, which, you know, for anybody who listened to the first podcast, poker is an extremely important thing for me in my life. And uh, I won't rehash it too much, but I, I really have this strong desire to see what I can achieve in it. Uh, I want to see 
how high my ceiling is. Uh, it's it's an incredibly important thing for me and my personal growth, and and uh, it's kind of an outlet for me to see can I achieve excellence in something, and it's just a very near and dear and personal thing for me. So um, I think with <clears throat> me working towards being in a better headspace, me being in a in a bit more uh, structured financial situation, um, where it's more in my control. I feel like I now have the opportunity to, to see where I can go with poker. It's going to, I'm a little bit delayed, um, because with the money that I had, as far as a bankroll before, you know, I was regularly playing five ten, and, and so it's going to take me a little bit to get back to that bankroll. Uh, and, but, um, my focus right now is there is going to be a day where I'm going to have that bankroll again. Um, in a couple of years, we'll sell the family home and, and split the proceeds and I'll have a, a, some cash from that. And so my goal and my focus, and this kind of ties into what I'm doing, is when that day comes, I want my skill to match my bankroll and be ready. Right, which sort of explains why you found a coaching for profits program. You explained to me you didn't just want to lose your edge. You also wanted to be learning, but you didn't have the money to play or take other coaching. So suddenly it clicks. Nick Howard accepts you from day one. Tell us about that. How does that work? We've had, we've had multiple coaching for profits people on the, on the pod recently, but this is a new, new program. This is the detox one. Yep. What's the difference? Uh, so I'll be honest. Uh, I've only heard DLFs. And so I haven't heard the other podcast, um, so it's it's hard for me to completely comment all of the differences. But, you know, I, I'd imagine there's some similarities. Essentially, my experience is uh, I got accepted into the program and then I was provided some kind of uh, training material, so to speak, and produced a sample of hands over, I think, 25,000 uh, hands, um, which were then reviewed. Um, I think the hope was to achieve a certain win rate and then to be ex officially accepted into where now I'm playing on stake. And I think that if a person does not achieve a certain metric, then it just they have to keep playing hands on their own dime until they hit that metric um, and show that they can incorporate the material that they were initially provided. Interesting. So you hit that metric. Correct. Yeah. And it was, it's crazy because it's like essentially other than like many, many years ago where I really didn't know what I was doing. It's it's really my first serious um, foray into playing online poker. So it was all very new to me. Right. You're not. Let's just be clear. Luca is not a 21 year old in his basement. This yeah, is a, this is a professional <laughs> man now divorced his life life uh, ruined like the rest of ours. And now he's suddenly <laughs> playing. What stake are you playing? Uh, so what was really funny is that, um, oh God, what stake was I playing for my hand sample? I mean, it was something silly, like five NL or something like that. Cause I just didn't have the money. So it's like, I couldn't really play anything where I ran out of money till I couldn't finish my hand sample. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I even sent them an email. I'm like, I'm going to play my sample at five NL. Is that going to be a problem? I didn't get a response. So I just plowed ahead. Um, but now the intro stake that I'm playing on stake is 50 NL. Um, so a big change from playing 510 live to 50 NL and getting angry about $8 pots. 
All right. At this point, I'm gonna. Ha- I have to address the 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 cat in the room. This cat is tremendously annoying at the moment. Forgive forgive me, everyone. I'm going to pause, and we're not going to stop the recording, but we'll just. Right. So you're you're playing you're playing big real stakes, live stakes, big boy stakes, and now you're playing with uh, the guys with the fifty dollar bankrolls who think that they're the best players in the world, and you're losing eight dollar pots. Yes. Um, and it's like destroying you. Um, tell tell us how your sample went. I mean, we made you made some metric, some secret metric, whatever that is. How did how yeah. did how did it feel grinding out twenty five k hands? It was uh, it was intense. Um, I ended up because I'm you know I am juggling a, a reasonably demanding job. Um, I'm also balancing making time to hang out with my daughter. Um, and other obligations. So finding the time is, is, is difficult. Um, and then, uh, getting in that many hands is pretty daunting though. The only way I end up finally being able to make a dent in that volume is playing two tables of what they call zone, uh, which is that fast fold for anybody who, who isn't familiar. Essentially, as soon as you fold your hand, you immediately get dealt a new hand at a new table. So that you don't have to wait for the hand to play out. Um, so I was doing two tables at once of that and just burning through something like over around 380 hands an hour. Um, Holy cow. So uh, first of all, you're playing, your knowledge base comes from, you know, a path that was, I think, uh, Doug Hall to Christian Soto of Solve for Y and a little bit of me. How did that game... Or whatever you were doing translate into this you know nl dust environment yeah so um it's actually been something that now that i'm playing on stake at 50 nl uh, i've had to very much it's present in my mind but right now i'm trying to actually set all that stuff aside okay so it's been a big adjustment, and I now I, you're yeah. you're setting it aside though because you're a you're a Nick Howard student, right? You've got a protocol now. Yeah, exactly. And so, <laughs> um, one thing that that you know he he discusses is essentially, and I and I and I and I wholeheartedly uh, agree with it is that it's it's very tempting when you're asked to do something that maybe isn't something you would intuitively do or that, you know, maybe I wouldn't do in a live environment and, um, but I should do according to the protocols. Uh, at some point, if I'm going to be with poker detox, um, there should be a part of me that buys in to what they're doing. Otherwise it just doesn't make sense for us to have a working relationship. And so, <laughs> yes, yeah, so, some, some part of you should buy into it. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, there are things that are difficult to do or triggers that I need to pull, um, that don't necessarily line up with the theory that I've learned so far. Um, but their protocol, which is thorough, which I believe in, um, says to do it. And so rather than me finding some because the thing, too, is and we can get into this a little bit when we talk about my downswing, but your mind really can play tricks on you. And so it's really hard in the moment as that online timer is ticking down to really have the self-awareness to know, 
okay, am I have I actually found a theoretical reason why this play shouldn't be executed the way they're asking me to? Or am I, as Nick Howard would coin, exception seeking, as in because I'm uncomfortable on pulling this bluff off in this spot, now I'm just rationalizing not doing it. And I'm and I'm rationalizing it with my understanding of theory. And I just don't think when you're sitting there, especially if it's a session where you're getting your ass handed to you a little bit, that you can really honestly say which one of those two is at play. Okay, a lot of meat on the bone there. First, first of all, like Nick Howard is is well <clears throat> is is well known now by the by now he's he's uh he's appeared, you know he's he was with Run It Once now he's constantly on the Salt for Why vlogcast. People know about him is do you actually interact with him or or is he like uh you know the boss of the boss and then you don't get to talk to the boss <laughs> so i haven't had any personal interaction uh Aha. with him he he does join our group chat we have a group chat so uh there's been some back and forth uh in that chat um and i do think he's involved um but he seems to be more involved on a big picture level and I, the two more involved people are, are a gentleman by the name of Gabe and then also Nick's brother, Patrick Howard, who seems to have kind of really uh, dived deep into the strategic uh, component uh, of the uh, of the protocols uh, and done a lot of mass database analysis himself. Um, sure. Now, now, the brother's name is what? Patrick. And he's the guy who had a very, I mean, at least as far as these things go, a popular blog on Run It Once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, okay. so you can find that search for, I don't know, does, does he have a screen name or is he, does he go by Patrick Howard? I, I don't know if he has a screen name. I think Mobius was the name of the blog, if I'm there not it mistaken. Is. Yeah, so there was a lot of sharp, you know, reflective and data stuff there. Okay, that's one thing. We know that and we'll get, we'll get back to that. But the other thing is, you know, you, you said this very ominous thing about, well, am I going to do it the way they are doing it? Or am I doing it the way I, I thought I used to be able to do it? Come, you got to give us an example of one of these spots where sure. the so theory I, just differs. Yeah, I can give you an example. Um, so I think that uh, one example is uh, to compare it to something, for example, from like your construction course. You know, one thing we talk about there is whether, you know, a bet is a good bet or a bad bet. And, you know, there are some hands with which um, we don't want to get blown off our equity. Um, so we're going to choose to retain that equity and we're going to take a passive action and we're going to check. And, you know, we're going to have other hands that we're going to, you know, bet for various reasons. Either they're low enough in equity where we don't care if we get raised off of it, or they're high enough in equity where we can either call or bet three bet them. And there are situations where I will have a hand that I will feel like, okay, this is really going to suck if I get raised here, because if I check call, I feel like I could potentially retain my equity. Or if I just check back or, you know, given this board texture, um, I, it, you know, I do feel like there's a strong likelihood I'm going to get check raised and blown off my equity. Um, but their protocol might say to, to bet. Um, so okay. that's that's a, maybe a general example um, without giving a specific hand of like where that same analysis that we've gone over in your courses isn't taking place because I, my guess is because the mass database analysis supports right. taking that action in that spot so that's interesting um 
not so much because of the difference, but because of the way it connects to the other uh, coaching for profits program that I've spoken to. Um, they're making a lot of sweeping bets where they expect to exploitatively get folds or not be raised. They're they're simplifying the game based on what the expected actions of the pool are. Is that a, a fair way to describe what uh, you're seeing as the difference between what we were working on and what you're adopting now? Yes, and what I will say as a caveat to that is mm. that I think that is more prevalent at the stakes that I'm at in that I think I'm at the phase where I need to kind of show through results that I'm capable of following instructions. <laughs> and <laughs> um, That's hilarious. So, so I think that as you get to higher stakes, and I think as you start to face a smaller player pool and better players, I do think that there is more room for theory to start adding nuance. So I don't want to mischaracterize any evolution of the strategy that takes place because 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 of the level that I'm currently at, I don't think right now is the stake level to be introducing some of this nuance. I think it's and I and I agree it's better to just focus in on implementing because that will get you the results that you need and then as you have that baseline implementation uh, I, my assumption is is in tougher player pools, but I think also it surprisingly doesn't require as much deviation as one might think. I think is one of the mantras that I've heard. Mm. Now, online no limit up to a certain stake. I don't want really want to say which stake, but to me the the difficulty of it is vastly overrated. What's your take on that? Right or wrong? I think so. I can partly just speak from what I've heard from my fellow team members. And I, I think they would probably agree with that. Um, okay. uh, I, I think it stakes higher than I would have guessed. It's pretty manageable. I don't think I can personally say because I'm currently like overall down at 50 NL. Um, so oh. <laughs> I, I'm not in a position to be uh, saying, you know, that 500 NL is a berry patch, but <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that doesn't stop a lot of people, trust me. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be alone in, in that but position. Seemingly, in in a, in a weird uh, twist of logic, um, I I do buy into what these other folks are saying, and I and actually have very little doubt that I'll that I'll be there soon enough. Um, but it, I am going through a learning process. Um, you know, okay. So, so let's talk a little bit about the play. First off, as a live player. How does it feel to 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 sit down and play a very different kind of session? You know, what's our what was the adjustment period? What is what does it feel like to be an online player now that you have passed through both phases? So I've I've actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I uh, it's actually pretty cool. I uh, you know simply just getting in the hands and I don't know if this is a little maybe out of order, but what I will say is. It's really honing in some fundamentals for me that um, I just would have been hard to obtain continuing to play in the live Portland games that I had. Like um, what? Name, name something there. Yeah. So, for example, being a bit more 
precise preflop. Ah. Um, because you can get away with, and I'm not saying in the live environment these are necessarily always wrong. I, I remember when we were in Vegas together, you, me, and Porter were laughing because some GTO nerd correctly folded this pocket pair because it was a, you know, the, the GTO ranges said he shouldn't, and he would hit quads in like this three way <laughs> all in pot. And the kid just wanted to look like he wanted to kill himself. Um, <laughs> I love that and, hand. <laughs> Um, so I'm not saying that, um, because I think if anything, one of the takeaways is, is, you know, you don't take Nick Howard's online strategy and then think that's what you're going to implement at the Meadows. Um, but what it does, it, it, one example is that it has taught me preflop discipline and just uh -huh. understanding more theoretically how hands play out preflop, what, you know, for example, I've incorporated four bet bluffs. Like never in my life playing live have I really four bet bluffed at the Meadows. I mean, never just... really got there. Huh? <laughs> you, you didn't, sure, you did. You got some ace wheels in there. I'm sure. Come on. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But now it's a regular thing, is what you're saying. Yeah, and so really just and and it and also while that seems kind of loose or aggressive, um, I also have spots where um, I've tightened up considerably, and it's really. Uh, hit home positional awareness and just understanding like this is just not a profitable holding mm -hmm. going forward given where the action came from and, and everything like that and it's really easy in the live especially when you see so many post-flop mistakes um, it's really easy to really widen out those requirements and again I'm not saying there isn't cause to widen them out but I think that I'll be coming from a more informed place about which holdings to widen out and which ones not to um, with some of these fundamentals I'm learning. Nice. So in addition to employing, you know, market driven exploits, the the discipline of the, you know, semi solved game of poker, you it's, it's finally taken. It's only taken a, a divorce and a loss <laughs> of your bankroll. And uh, I don't, who knows what else uh, to get there. Okay. Uh, yeah, some of us uh, are a little slower on the uptake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, now let's move into the aspect of coaching for profits, where you're a member of a, you know, of a group, of a team. What, what do you call yourself? You know, as like yeah. a murder of crows. What are you? Uh, we don't have any like nerdy uh, superhero names for ourselves. It's yeah, but right. I think a, I think a team is fair. Okay, uh, and so what's you know? Do you talk to them? Are you? Are you all enthralled with Nick Howard? Do you hang on his every word? What, what's the what's it like in the the water cooler moments of the of the group? So uh, the chat is it's pretty good. Um, uh, you know, we do communicate. We talk about hands. We talk about trends. I, I will say, lately in the group, some of the most substantive conversation has surrounded about uh, surrounded uh, mindset, and I think it's something that as a company they are. Um, exploring more and more and as i delve into this i find that it's a more and more critical piece and really seems to be the filter that separates who lasts in this and who doesn't and maybe that's an obvious statement but um experiencing it and, and experiencing you know other people that have their ups and downs on the team um, it really is does seem to be what separates folks yeah i can get behind that i I've noticed that 
especially as I get older as a poker player, that mindset matters a lot more. And, and, and as we know, um, Howard and the, and the Sulphur Y guys are, are big on the mental warrior aspect of things. So one one thing I want to get more specific on, Luca, I mean, we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but you mentioned you went through a downswing. Yes. Uh, can you talk about that? I mean, not just, you don't have to tell us the dollars, but talk about the details, how it felt, and what you did about it. Yeah, so it's it's been interesting because playing online versus live, you just get in so, so many hands. And um, so things that might take a year or two years, you know, you accomplish in a, in a one or two months uh, online, uh, given the rate of hands that you're playing. And also playing live in pretty soft games, uh, I think the longest downswing I had was maybe having two losing months in a row. I mean, I don't even know if that has happened. And so um, it's not something I'd ever experienced before. And I think I went through about a month and a half online where I was, you know, just losing. Um, and that's a lot of hands. <laughs> um, well, you have, uh, I mean, I hate to interrupt, but you you have support, right? You're talking to people about this. Yeah. And, and uh, for example, one of my teammates uh, at Poker Detox uh, was very generous and volunteered his time. Um, and we did a Skype call where we went over hands that I played, et cetera. Um, and he was pointing out some things uh, where I was deviating from the protocols and, and doing things better. So uh, I absolutely do have support. Um, but I also think there's some value in me going through the process and, and, and figuring some of it out myself. Um, that might be inefficient. And, but in some ways, it's actually one of the best things that's happened for my growth. I know that when I talk to you about stuff and because I can get kind of whiny when I'm on a downswing live, um, <laughs> uh, you have this, uh, uh, you know, this, this leatheriness about you when it comes because you've just, I mean, you, you know, you're a professional. And so you've been there, done that, you've been through it. And so it really, at some point you have to develop a callousness. So it, it's helped with that, but it's also helped. Hmm. I'm going to interrupt you because I think okay. it, this is really interesting, um, and we'll talk a little bit about downswings now. But you, because you're 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 executing a protocol. Like I didn't get into all the diff- all the you know the things, but like for for Francois and for KYT, they've got an Excel sheet telling them what to do with proven strategies, tested. You know how how are you executing this market strategy and losing for a month and a half? So some of it is me executing poorly because, mm. you know, you have these standard lines that you have. However, and I've kind of made these notebooks so I can access them in game. But sometimes you just have to act. And also some of it is mental game where maybe you don't pull a trigger where you're supposed to pull a trigger. Some of it, there's still room for you making an assessment in a hand. Then you assess things wrong. Um, and so... There's all kinds of things. So that's that. I so I'm still undergoing quite a bit of learning and just executing correctly, um, and also mixed in there. And this is where like my mind was kind of playing tricks on me. Is there was some run bad in there? I mean, I probably had, you know, six seven thousand hand stretch where I was running considerably below EV, um, and because you know these hand things give you these charts uh, that show you that, but. This is where the mental part comes in, where I was 
<laughs> this was just so ironic, and it took me like a little while to realize the idiocy of my view on this. But I was so outraged that for this stretch of time, that my win rate was like negative 30 BB per 100. And my adjusted win rate was negative 15 BB per 100. And I was like, God damn it, I should only be losing this much. And like, I, <laughs> it was just like, it took me a while to step back and realize like how stupid my thought was in that, well, even if you were running the way you should be, you're still losing. So clearly variance is not explaining why you're losing because even if you remove that from the equation, I'm still losing negative 15 BB per hundred in this stretch at 50 NL. So there are other issues going on here. And so, um, but it, it's just kind of points to, and then I, you know, I, I, for a while I was just focused on this. And then I looked at the beginning because at the beginning I just took off and, and was doing really well. And, um, and then I finally took a hard look at that and saw that I was running above expectation at that time. So it wasn't some genius play on my part. And so there's been these really humbling moments where you kind of recognize how, and I, I think your mind wants to preserve your ego or something. And so it just gravitates towards these things that make you feel better. And um, so it's, it's, it, it forces you when you're going through these things to look at the correct things and analyze them through the correct lens. Um, because you can just, your mind can really distort things in a way to preserve your fragile ego. Uh, and so you don't get to the root of the thing. Yeah. You've, you've really, you have to master yourself. You are, you are a horse that has to be tamed and, and it can be really hard. Um, you know, your, your mentor, Nick Howard, he makes a crazy play that we saw on, uh, poker out loud and he sort of applauded, uh, Berkey and, you know, he was, he wasn't tilted. He, he, he held himself together, uh, whether it's through learning, discipline, even that that ugly word that's not very popular anymore. A little bit of, you know, a little bit of, you know, muscular repression, keeping that whiny voice down can do a lot, <laughs> can do a lot for you. Look, I'll tell you how my poker career began. I mean, not my poker career, but my first six months as a pro. Right. I just I just lost. All I did was lose. To the point where, after after maybe four or five months of just running bad and you know losing, like notice that I'm not going to quite say what it was, I had to bear down on myself and I had to start turning in wins, or this whole experiment was going to end in catastrophe. Yeah. And so I reached a new plane because I just had to show up and win, and I started playing better. It was, so it was as simple as that. Do you think? Because sometimes people try to find meaning in, in shitty stuff that happens and it isn't always there. But do you think that you may not be the player you are today had you not had to had to be almost forced to uh, to bear down on yourself that way? Absolutely. And every other time I've had to bear down on myself, we get a little bit lazy constantly. And to return to this this question I had about the self-wide vlogcast constantly harping on mental game and productivity theories and, and personal self-growth, you know, they're very right. You have to really cultivate that. And that's just something I never really learned. I, I just kind of did what I was going to do for the most part. And poker taught me to be more vigilant than that. And I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about. Yeah, and it really has been a lot of personal growth on that front. Uh, and like the beginning when I was crushing, I just showed up. 
I was, you know, I had my music on. I was having a grand old time. I had this expectation that I'm just going to make, you know, <laughs> X amount of money. And then it just started going horribly wrong uh, for like a long time. And uh, and what's what's another thing that it's really taught me is that entitlement is just really damaging as a poker player. And uh, because I would have moments where I was really, you know, I, I was being very diligent and studying and I was implementing well and I'd been chipping away and, and bluffing in spots and building up my stack. And then I'd run it, kings into aces and three hours of work was gone. Um, <laughs> right. And, um, and, I, and I felt like for all the effort, all of the picking myself up after being kicked down and for all this that I was entitled to a break. I was entitled to a winning session that like I was entitled for things to fall my way or all these things. And so you, you, it really tests your resolve and, and reminds you that the cards don't give a fuck about your mental state that, you know, and, and there's nothing that you're entitled to. And, and it really forces you to just really trust that, you know, you're not going to make up your back amount in this session. And you may even suffer a setback, even if you played it correctly. And all these things that are, that, really test your resolve and so uh in some ways i'm really happy it's happening at 50 nl (laughs) 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 at a thousand but uh um i i think similar to what you've described for yourself i i think it's going to make me a, a lot more resilient and tougher player and in some ways again i'm super grateful it's happening when it is because again i i hope to in two years when i'm completed my my obligation with poker detox and and I have some money available um, I might run into a downswing live for much larger quantities of money and uh, I'm going to need these tools uh, to be able to weather that storm so it, it, in the end it's good but it's really tested me well well said uh any anything else you want to say about the um about the experience what, what have I not asked you about that that's important to being a coaching for profits guy um I guess what I'll say is on like a, on a personal note, I am, you know, even though, you know, I'm down right now and I'm, and I'm struggling at the, at the tables a little bit, but some of that's to be expected. Um, I am so, uh, incredibly grateful, uh, for the opportunity. I, I just, you know, it, it, it really does a lot for my psyche to know that I have a pathway forward in poker and, you know, there's guys on the team that are crushing 1000 NL and, uh, and making good money. And, uh, and online has been something I'd always been a bit intimidated by because you just hear this, these horror stories about how it's just this, you know, frontier of carnage and tough players and all this and the way it's spoken about it just seemed like who the fuck could even beat these stakes and uh and so it's really invigorating having the opportunity and platform where really my effort in in my my studiousness um are really the only limiting factors and that's never really been i mean it it has maybe on some level but on other i was in a leaking boat so it, it wasn't as much the case but just to have that pressure off of me and knowing that my merit is the only thing standing between me and where I want to be is just uh, something I'm incredibly uh, grateful for and appreciative of. And it's what you always wanted. Uh, from the beginning, you wanted to be 
a strong poker player. You wanted to be the guy in the room that uh, was taking the money and that the action ran through and the people feared. So good on you for, for finding a path in the midst of troubles. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Now, uh, a couple things. First off, Nick Howard tweeted out and put it in the um, forums that there were some concerns over possibly bots or cheating that his players were um, encountering <clears throat> on certain sites. Do you have any comments on that? I wasn't super familiar with that. Um, I know that there are some sites, I think, and I really hate to misrepresent anything, but I think there were some sites, like maybe some of those Chinese apps where they may have pulled out of them. And I know also there were some concerns. I remember hearing some rumoring going on about Ignition and Bovada, but I'm playing on Bovada. I think other guys are playing on Bovada. So uh, I don't know if they just looked at it and, and, and made the decision that that wasn't a concern on that site. Um, so I'm not super privy to that. Uh, and that was kind of developing while I was doing my hand sample and before I was in the chat. So I don't really have too much of an inside track on that. Fair enough. Uh, in the poker world, the, you know, the coronavirus, you know, that's not the right word for it, but you know what I'm talking about, Yeah, um, is beginning to, you know, pop up as an issue. People are making bets and they're worried about the World Series. Uh, did you just get into online poker at the right time? Should we be staying away from the poker room? <laughs> you know, I, I think that it's, it's really hard to say. I... Uh, there's been so much talk of this thing um, and a lot of speculation. Uh, I think that if you're going to transmit germs, a poker place is a great way to do it. Right. I think the, you know, post taking a leak, uh, washing your hands percentage at the Meadows is probably like 40 percent. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then wow. they go. You're an optimist, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you always were an optimist. <laughs> and then you get the same guy chomping on a burger and, uh, and, uh, and splashing chips and touching the cards. So, and that's um, right after not washing his hands, by the way. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think a bunch of people in a casino with recycled air are exchanging chips, but, you know, I, mean, I think I think we can look forward. Maybe that's the right, the right word, but I mean, if there's if there's going to be a pool of people that has a high rate of mortality from this thing, it's going to be poker players. For sure. Uh, For you sure. Know, hopefully, hopefully, it'll knock out some of the tough ones. You know what I mean? You know, uh, they may want to consider <laughs> uh, rescheduling the seniors event. Uh, that could uh, end up uh, as a really bad PR campaign for the world. Oh yeah. yeah. I can just imagine. You know, and they're all and they're all staying in these like. Yeah. Cheap, cheap, sad, you know, you know, but the kind of places where you, you know, you don't want to go where they, where the rooms are like $40, but the resort fee is like $40 also. Let's get 6,000 people <laughs> of the most vulnerable of our population and had them spread germs for four days in an event. It sounds, it sounds rough. Well, uh, so aside from that, uh, what are you enjoying out there in poker media, if anything? You you uh, you watch any vlogs? You read any books? Uh, how are you connected to the poker culture at large? Uh, honestly, um, I have been pretty disconnected. Um, I've been enjoying the Solve for Why vlogcast. I always like watching that. I, I think it's, it's pretty entertaining content. Um, and actually, coincidentally enough, it's been really actually helpful for me as I've been going through the process, the episodes that Nick has been on, um, because, uh, 
you know, going through his program, a lot of the stuff he says has really, really resonated. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I'm buddies with Christian. And so, uh, you know, I always, I always like seeing what kind of shenanigans he's up to. And it, it kind of makes me miss hanging out with those guys and visiting. And so uh, I'll get back there. But uh, I get a little nostalgia when I when I watch it, too. Now, I guessed wrongly in print about that vlog cast. I said it was good. But I, I guess that the uh, the self promote, you know, the self help aspect, the productivity theory aspect would eventually get tiresome. But it never gets tiresome for this audience. Now, why is that? Uh, I think it just, and and I can say, you know, and we can talk about it if you'd like, but, you know, going through a bit of a downswing playing online, um, I, I think that so much of poker stuff out there is kind of glamour and glitz and this and that. And, uh, uh, you know, to their credit, while an argument can be made, which you're making, is that maybe it gets a little tiresome, like it. it it's it just to know that that there are people that are also that are successful that also think about or deal with these things and um and and to kind of feel in some way like there's support uh out there mm-hmm. um i know for me is really anchoring and is really helpful because it's really easy when you're struggling with something or you're you're dealing with something to feel like you're alone in it and so uh, kind of hearing, you know, discussion on it and, and hearing uh, people talk about it that you respect uh, is is really helpful. Well, that would explain it. That's uh, that's nice. Uh, one of the themes for this week, uh, sort of a subtext for for you, for the podcast, for a lot of things, is is lost illusions. I would say. Um, you list, Did you listen to the DGAF pod that I did, or do you follow sessions at all? I have listened to a number of sessions episodes, and uh, but I have not gotten around to the G- DGAF one. I almost started it today, uh, and then I just couldn't get to it. You know, so here's a guy in short, and you know, <clears throat> I bring this up because you know you've listened to him and you know some more about him than yeah, yeah, yeah. Let on. Um, but here's a guy in his forties who's who's grinding out a poker living. He's he's got debts, um, and he's a little tired of the game. He actually wants out of the game. Um, but you're someone who wants into the game. Yeah. Uh, do you, I mean, how, do, what, what happens to you when you listen to sessions? Is, is that a good fit or do you, do you turn that off? Kind of wondering what the poker audience wants to hear. What's, what's important for aspiring poker players to hear right now? Sure. I've, uh, I've enjoyed the sessions podcast. Um, I got yeah, without coming across as like, disrespectful i think some of the some of when i hear him talk about the hands he's like i kind of he's like the ultimate like street hustler poker player i mean he's just like all street smarts um all like basically knowledge accumulated through observing people understanding behavior and understanding who he's playing against and i guess one of the feelings that I get is, man, I wish he would just combine that with some refinement um, because he could do really well. Uh, and I think it's getting harder and harder for guys that rely solely on that skill set. Or he should just move to Portland and play in that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that that uh, <clears throat> that actually takes the cake. That's that's 
That's probably the best thing that's been suggested to him in a long time. Well, I don't think he can do that, but uh, the point's <laughs> made. Like, uh, people should play in, in Portland. Boy, you got to stop repeating this. Eventually, they're going to figure out, or maybe they'll be insulted. I don't know. Well, Luca, it's been great talking with you. Um, is there anything you want to ask of me before we uh, sign off? You got any, uh, you got any courses planned or anything uh, curriculum-wise for people to look forward to? Well, right now I'm in the midst. I started a new construction series. Uh, I think you went through one of those. Uh, you can speak to that if you remember it. But I've got one going. It's kind of going to last, you know. It could go three months because I've got uh, the first part. The second part, which is really <clears throat> kind of an expansion in a workshop because C1 is difficult. And the third one is bet sizing, which is probably the most ambitious thing I've ever done as a as a teacher. And... Uh, I think people got a lot of, out of that, and um, if you're a you know if you're a serious poker player and you're kind of not a genius, it really it really gets to the heart of the what what uh, what multiple sizings mean, what are their incentives, how equity flows, stuff like that. Uh, so I got plenty on my plate, including private students. Uh, I've got some really <clears throat> avid, ambitious ones, and, and they wear me out. Yeah, I uh, wasn't unfortunately able to take that bet sizing course, but it's something I want to take. I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but um, bet sizing really is kind of, when you can do that correctly, you really understand the theory of the game. And and because you to understand, hey, in this spot, I need to be betting larger or I need to be polarizing or et cetera, it just requires so much theoretical framework it, because that's what guides you to the bet sizing decision. So it really kind of seems to me to be like one of the more difficult. But if you if you're able to understand why bet sizing is what bet sizing in certain situations, it really says a lot about your understanding of the general theory. Can't really argue with that. Cool. Well, again, I really appreciate uh, you uh, having me on, and hopefully you'll have me on uh, here pretty soon, and I'll be crushing a thousand NL and uh, and uh, the uh an online uh online you know semi-pro hanging out in my uh, jammy jams and uh playing poker well you, you you're gonna have to get up there you're not you're not gonna be making this income playing nl you know wait you're at, you're up to nl 50 what am I, why am i laughing at you uh <laughs> one one thing i want to say before i sign off uh my partner greg porter who uh luca just mentioned he is a also a student of many different poker coaches, very experienced, uh, winning live pro now and online pro, is doing a seminar on how to use the solver properly. And you can find the notes and dates and times and costs for that uh, with the podcast post. And with that, I want to thank Luca and sign off. Thank you once again for listening and tuning into the Poker Zoo. Find us, of course, at persuadio.nl. And as uh, Chris mentioned there, uh, there's a link to and information about Porter's upcoming seminar in the show notes. This show should be the first thing that comes up on the website uh, uh, this week. So uh, check that out. I've seen some previews of what Porter's going to be going through, and it's some very good insights, uh, some good stuff about use of the solver, how not to use the solver, mistakes that people make. I think it's going to be interesting and informative, so make sure to uh, check out the information there and get pre-signed up for the seminar coming up here in a couple weeks. 
playing poker yesterday in Charlestown, West Virginia, and uh, someone at the table mentioned why people thought the state was so pretty. I said, well, it has to be because they wrote a song about it, Almost Heaven, West Virginia. And uh, some, the guy beside me said, you know that song was written about Maryland. Well, of course, that uh, seemed heretical to mention that, so I looked it up, and it's an interesting story. Turns out Bill Danoff and Taffy Nivert, uh, who later were part of Starland Vocal Band and the Afternoon Delight song in that uh, genre, uh, actually co-wrote songs with John Denver. This was back in 1970. So Bill and Taffy were on their way to a family member's house in Montgomery County, Maryland, and started to put together this country road, take me home, the chorus of the song, and uh, set it aside, and several months later... John Denver came to visit them, and they sang this chorus to him, and he said, I think that could be a hit. Well, he stayed up all night and wrote the verses to the to the song. Uh, tried several different states uh, to see what rolled off the tongue right, and eventually settled on West Virginia, and um, the Appalachian Mountains are mentioned in there and different things. And So there you go. John Denver went on to make the song famous, and... Montgomery County, Maryland uh, no longer has country roads. It's a uh, traffic nightmare now since it uh, became uh, uh, so populated. uh, There you have the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey might say. Thanks for tuning in. Send me your interesting stories, barbecue questions, website questions, poker questions, anything. See you next time.